Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this great book of Philippians, a small little book, but I want to thank you for the ways already in which you have used it to change us here at Church by the Bridge. Thank you for the big and small ways, the stories that we've heard uh, of ways in which you are speaking to us, showing more and more about how amazing you are, Lord. And I pray tonight would be no exception to that. Amen. Uh, There is one thing that is guaranteed to rob you of having any joy in your life, and that's anxiety. The fear and the worry of the unknown. We come to a, the end of Philippians. And we come to a moment where Paul deals with this issue head on. And my t- the temptation for me as a pastor, as a preacher, is to do two things. It's either to sort of skip, o- skip over it, sort of say a couple of comments and move on. Or to kind of give you a cliched answer. Sort of don't worry, be happy. But I don't want to do either of them tonight, right? My goal tonight is to slowly work through just two verses, six and seven, slowly work through them and see what the Bible has to say to us about anxiety tonight. Okay? That's the goal. Paul begins in verse six of chapter four with two words. Don't worry. Now, Paul brings up this topic of of worrying because it's common to us all. It was common 2,000 years ago, and it's still common today. And the thing about worrying, it doesn't discriminate. I sent this congregation an email about a week and a half ago asking for your experiences with fear and worry and anxiety. I got about 25% response, which is more response than we've had probably ever, really. (laughs) But it's just testament to the fact that this is a common thing, worrying. And it's important to know there are three types of anxiety, right? The first is a natural anxiety. You know when you're at the beach and then the shark alarm goes off? That's an anxiety that's good, right? Because it, it causes an action. That's sort of God-given. It's, that's a good thing. But the second type of anxiety is clinical anxiety. This is where the feelings of being overwhelmed don't go away. Where there's no rhyme or reason to why you're feeling anxious. We're going to meet a guy at this church, and I'm going to interview him a little later on about his battle with clinical anxiety. And the third is the everyday anxiety, is what Paul's talking about here. The, the fears and the worries about the things in our lives. And the thing is, there is a lot to worry about, isn't there? I mean, we worry about all sorts of things, our safety, the safety of loved ones. We worry about uh, being unloved or being alone. Or if we are loved, the high probability of being hurt. We worry about death. How's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? What's going to happen after? Worry about what we might lose, our hair, our mind, our figure, our job, our money, our spouse, our our, our status, our reputation, our faith, our friends, our family. As one lady said, In this congregation, in the email, she said, I worry about all sorts of things. Money, boyfriend, relationships, future, health, being alone, purpose in life, employment. So basically, everything. And we respond in different ways, don't we? Uh, You guys have said, when I worry, my tummy turns. I retract within my shell. I sweat. I exclude everyone. I'm unable to sleep. I feel panicky. My heart beats faster. 
Anxiety is like this strong emotion that rises up that wants to be boss. But Paul doesn't say just don't worry. What does he say? He says don't worry about anything. One of the teenagers at at Seoul, the youth group here, said on Friday night about this verse. He said, that is the hardest thing anybody could ever do. And those four words by themselves, don't worry about anything, if they're by themselves, that's impossible, right? That's condemning. How do you do that? Because worrying is such like a natural reflex, isn't it? You know, when my wife is late home by a couple of minutes, you know what I think? She's dead. There's a car crash. This is it. I'm a widower. I've got to plan a funeral. This is where my mind goes, right? Or when I start to get sick, I, you know, I, I, I worry, like, why am I sick? What, what does this mean? And then I Google it. Oh, that's bad. Because Dr. Google says I have a cancer or I'm pregnant. That's it. You know, and both are shocking. <laughs> Worrying is such a natural thing to do. But here Paul is saying, don't worry about anything. The problem with worrying, really, there's two things, right? The first is, it's a complete waste of time. It's like being in a rocking chair, always moving but never getting anywhere. It's, it's, it's useless. It takes up so much time. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed acting, right? And the first play that I was in was Midsummer Night's Dream. I played King Oberon, King of the Fairies. You can laugh about that later. But that was my role. And the night before our first performance, I was up worrying. I was I was stressed. I was thinking, what if I forget my lines? What if I forget my cue? What if my costume's not there? Or what if I fall off the stage? Just hours and hours of worrying. Now, I could have been memorizing my lines. I could have been getting into character. I could have been having a sleep. But I was worrying. And it did me no good. So worrying is a complete waste of time. And the second thing, the second problem with worrying is we're just bad at it, Right? Because when we're worried, we make all these predictions, all these things we think will happen, right? We become sort of little prophets, little fortune tellers. We, it, well, tell me if this hasn't happened to you, right? So you're at work, and you've just sort of done this project, and then you think, oh, it actually didn't go that well. And then you start to think, oh, no, my boss is going to think bad of me, which means when it comes time to firing someone, it's probably going to be me, which means I'm not going to have a job, which means I'm not going to be able to pay my payments on the house, which means I'm going to be out on the street. Which, that's where your mind goes, right? You think, of what's the worst case scenario? Or you think about a friend's invited to a party and you can't go. And then you start to think, oh, that person's going to think bad of me. And if they think bad of me, it means this friendship's going to end. And if that friendship ends, then I'm going to be all by myself. And I'm all by myself, then I'm going to die alone. And I'm rotting. You know, we just make all these predictions. And nine times out of ten, none of them come true. We're sort of false prophets. We're bad fortune tellers making these predictions that don't come true. And it's not going to stop us. You're going to do this tomorrow morning, right? But if we slow down and realize we're doing it. So don't worry about anything. It's useless and we're just bad at it, right? But don't worry about anything. Well, what's the next word? But. That's an important but, right? But. Paul's about to say, the problem is not worrying per se, but is what you do with it. But in everything. Our temptation, those of us who are Christian, our temptation is to only bring to God the big things in the life, the things that were really outside of our control. 
You know, the world crisis, the terror attack, the life-threatening disease. But the things that we have control over, you know, that job interview, the, the friendships that are going too well, that test, we, we don't give them to God. Just the big thing. But he, this is saying everything. You know what everything means? Everything. Bring everything. And then he goes on to say what? In everything through prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. Paul's saying pray. Why pray? It's a couple of things. When you worry, when, when we're anxious, when, when we're fearful, we're carrying a burden we're not meant to carry. And when we pray, we're not sidelining, ignoring the problem. No, we're actually giving it to God, saying, you deal with it. When Jesus was on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, preaching his, his famous sermon, he says, don't worry about what you eat, wear, drink. Because God the Father will provide those things. And you're worth more than a sparrow or some grass, which God provides their needs. What he's saying there is, it's God's job to worry about those things, not yours. So give it to him. It reminds me of a poem that goes like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friends, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. It's God's job to worry, so don't take it from him. Give it to him. As Martin Luther says, pray and let God worry. Now, some of you might be thinking, look, prayer is just basic psychology, right? You're sort of vocalizing your fears. And when you do that, you feel better. Now, there's part truth in that, right? Part when you, when you share what, what's keeping you up at night and, you, and you, you articulate them, you bring them out, it does settle you a bit. But prayer is much more than that. You would be happy, maybe, for those of you who might, you might be skeptical, you might be happy at the end of verse 6 just for it to say, let your requests be made known. Why does the to God bit matter? Why, why does that matter? You know, it's interesting. What's the most frequent command in the Bible given by God? It's not don't commit adultery. It's not even love your neighbor. You know what it is? Do not be afraid. It's said about 300 times. 300 times. That's a lot, right? Now, when someone says something to you again and again and again and again, at first you think, oh, you're just being a nag, right? And then you get a bit frustrated. You say, all right, I heard you the first time. But if you've got a little bit of humility in you, you begin to think, actually, maybe this person's telling me because I really need to hear it. And I'm not listening. These words, do not be afraid, which God says again and again and again, aren't just words, aren't just trying to get you off his back. No, no, no. They are words that come with comfort and with power. Comfort because I, God is saying, I care and I know the anxiety that's going on in your life. I care and I, I understand. What is keeping you up at night? What are you afraid of? What are your fears? What are your nightmares? But he's not just listening. No, no, no. He comes with power saying, I can do something about it. Because at the very heart of anxiety is this battle of control, right? We want control. We want to be in charge, but in the end, oh, we can't. 
We can't. And God says to us, do not be afraid. Though you feel helpless, I can do something. At the heart of anxiety is this longing to know the future. What is the, what's going to happen? How's it going to play out? And God is saying, do not be afraid. Though you don't know what's coming, I do. So give it to me. Give it to me in prayer. Though we long to hold it all together, right, for it just to be go well, it doesn't. Or we don't know if it's going to or not. But God says to us, do not be afraid. Though you're up at night worrying, I never have to sleep. So pass your fears and your worries on to me. The key to what Paul is saying here is this. The opposite to anxiety is not no anxiety, but it's prayer. Now, I want to say something very important here, right? I'm not saying that prayer is the only thing. Having a holiday, taking, uh, doing exercise, talking to a friend, calling Lifeline, seeing a psychologist, a counsellor, signing out of social media. All these things are very good and right things to do when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling worried, right? But don't underestimate the power of prayer. As one person said in this church, when I am anxious, I pray and I pray and I pray to give it to the Lord and trust him to work it out. But I missed two words in verse 6. You might have noticed that. Two words I missed. With thanksgiving. See, the other anxiety killer is thankfulness. You know, when we worry, we go negative. We think about the worst things. We don't worry, for some reason, when things are going well. You don't think, oh, no, I'm stressed. I've got the job of my dreams. You know, I just want a trip to Fiji. I have too many supportive friends. We don't worry when things are going well. We don't worry when things are going bad, right? And we go negative. And we somehow get this amnesia. And we forget the past. We forget the way God has worked in our lives. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a, a boat trip out to sea, right? And big swell, huge waves. And I'm freaking out, right? I'm holding on something. We are going to tip over. Because every time we get to see this wave coming, it goes up, up, and, and then we get to the top. Oh, but then I see the next one. And, oh, no, we're going to tip over. We're going to drown. We're going to be out. And it gets to the, oh, that wasn't right. And then you get to the next one, and this just happens again and again. I'm always looking at the next wave, and I'm completely ignoring the fact that I got over the last hundred. And that's what we do with God. We, we look at the future, how am I going to do this? And we forget that God has worked in our lives and got us through those other times that we were flat out scared. So thankfulness is looking back and saying, thank you, God, for, for providing for me in those times. When we have to move house, a very scary time, right? Where am I going to live? Look back to the times, you know what, God? That moment and that moment you provided a place for me to live. Thank you. When we're struggling to make things end meet financially, look back and say, you know what, God? You provided for my needs there and there, not in the way that I thought, but there. And th thank you, God. Look back, look around you, think of the things that God has done in your life and thank him because God has not brought you this far to abandon you now. And then we come to verse 7. What a beautiful verse this is. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes 
surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, the feeling of being worried, being anxious, leaves you feeling in this state of chaos, right? Uncontrollable helplessness. But the peace of God changes that. Now, it's not saying the peace of God is somehow the Zen kind of, I'm above it all, life's going well, grab a pina colada, like, I don't worry about anything, right? It's not that. But it's in the worry, in the chaos, in the mess, in the concerns, somehow I'm okay. Somehow I'm calm. Somehow things are not as bad as they were. And you're probably thinking, how do you do that? How do you get that? And part of the answer is what we've just been looking at is through prayer, is trusting God in the chaos. But it's not just all that. Uh, when Jesus, you know Jesus experienced anxiety. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is flat out scared. He is freaking out at the prospect that he has to, be, uh, has to go to the cross. And so what does he do? He prays. He prays, Father, please take this cup. May there be another way. I don't want to go to the cross. And he prays and he prays and he prays. Why is he praying? He knows that he should not go through life alone. Jesus is the only person on this planet who didn't seek independence, but was constantly in communion, constantly in relationship with God the Father through prayer. Now, you've got to admit, Jesus had a lot to worry about, right? He had a lot of things to keep him up, and a lot of things to stress him out. But you know what? He prayed. Now, if I was to say to you as your pastor, be like Jesus, do what he did, he did it, so you should do it. That is going to make you more anxious leaving this building than when you came. Because you'll start to think, well, hang on, what if I forget? What if I'm not as consistent as Jesus? What if I'm not as diligent? What if I doubt it? All these things. Well, how do I know that God will listen to me when I pray? What if I wake up and I'm on his bad side? But the comforting thing is the last three words of verse 7. In Christ Jesus. That Jesus lived a life that we could never live. He perfectly obeyed even in the most stressful situations. He prayed and gave it to God. And he did that for anxious people such as you and I. He knew that we'd doubt. He knew that we wouldn't pray. We knew, he knew we'd try and control the situation, want to do it ourselves, go it alone. And he did it for us, to substitute himself for us on that cross. Which means that the big worries of life, right, the things you really should be scared about, like death and where you're going and what does God think of you, are no longer a worry because of what Jesus has done, that he did it for you. And if the big things of, 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 of life, the big things of concern are dealt with in Jesus, then that will give you a peace, an opportunity to handle the small things in your life. And that will give you an assurance that you can come to God in prayer, knowing that he will listen to you every time, any opportunity, any moment, because of what Jesus has done for you. You might remember this guy. On the screen, there's a picture of Robert Kelly. Uh, for the two of you who don't know who he is, uh, he is a, being interviewed on live TV and his children walked in. Uh, Marion is the girl in the yellow. What I love about Marion is that 
Marion has a confidence to just burst in to say, Dad, I've got something to tell you. I don't care that you're on live TV. I just want to tell you. And she, whether she knows it or not, is a great example of the gospel. Where because of Jesus that you can burst into God the Father's office and say, Dad, I've got something to tell you. I'm freaking out. I'm stressed. I'm worried about this, this, and this. I'm up late at night. I don't know what to do. Help me, help me, help me. And God the Father, unlike Robert Kelly, is not going to push you away saying, this is awkward, get away, this is embarrassing, I don't have time. No, 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 God the Father will turn to you and say, do not be afraid. Son, daughter, what is your concern? What is your worry? As 1 Peter 5 says so beautifully, cast your anxieties, cast all your anxieties onto him because... He cares for you. As one lady in this congregation said, amazingly so, in some ways, anxiety has done me a favor. It has taught me to trust God more and to try to live things to him. That's beautiful. I'm going to invite Chris up now. Uh, So Chris, if you want to come up. Please welcome Chris. Now, Chris, thanks for doing this. Uh, in you growing up, uh, never considered that your future self would battle with anxiety. And yet, in the end of 2012, some things happened of concern. What, you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, just been reflecting on your sermon as well, and the fact that you, you talked about there being different kinds of anxiety. Mine is a cautionary tale, because... The, those different kinds of anxiety aren't quarantined. Mm. Uh, one can very easily progress to the other. And I am probably just like all of you. I'm not somebody with a brain disorder or disease or a chemical imbalance or anything like that. My story of anxiety is about uh, what happened to me as a, a normal person with, no, with normal things. Mm. So I just, want, I just want to set that out there so that uh, uh, you can listen in that, in that frame. Yeah. So in, in 20, end of 2012... I'd quit my job to start my own business, a lifelong ambition. And I was happy about it. I wasn't actually anxious about it. I'd done all the planning. I had money in the bank. I I consciously was was very happy. But shortly afterwards, I started to feel some some weird physical symptoms. Nothing major, just some dizziness that was unexplained and persistent. And so I thought I'd go to the doctor and see what it was. And the doctor said to me, it's nothing. Right. That was the first problem. Because it was something. Yeah. I was experiencing something. And without taking you through all the nuts and bolts of, of, of what, what happened after that, the symptoms started to progress. Uh, lots of physical things, uh, tremors, pains, numbness, insomnia. The best way I can describe it, you talked about like a shark alarm going off. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if somebody pointed a gun at your head, if you can imagine the kind of immediate anxiety you might feel, that flight and fright me- fight or flight mechanism that would kick in, all the things that might go through your body, that adrenaline rush. Then imagine being frozen in that state for months. Right. For some people, years. For yeah. me, it was five months. Yeah. That's what it feels like to suffer from anxiety. Yeah. So uh, that's the difference between clinical anxiety and just sort of having you know, some Every concerns day. on your mind. Yeah. 
when you suffer from it because it overwhelms your body. It's yeah. the physical symptoms trying to help you uh, deal with these things. A psychologist told me that clinical anxiety is the common cold of mental disorders. Okay. And that it is very, very common. Yeah. Most common mental Co- health. Yeah, I, yeah. Funnily enough, they say 25% of people get it. Exactly the same number of people who applied to Remark. Okay, right. I don't <laughs> know if there's a link. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so... So that, that, yeah, yeah. that's what my anxiety uh, looked like at that time, which was the darkest moment. So that was, uh, you, you, so that you found that out. And uh, what then, after finding out it was clinical anxiety, what was helpful from then on? After it was diagnosed, what was yeah. Yeah, beneficial in well, that? Well, I, I should say that the first doctor who told me I had anxiety said, it's just anxiety, don't worry about it. Which I don't know if that counts as a diagnosis. Yeah, okay. It was, wasn't until later that a doctor... <laughs> it's almost uh, ironic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. yeah, I mean, he, he, honestly, that, yeah. that, that, that probably threw accelerant on my issues. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until a doctor sat me down and said, no, Chris, you actually have a condition called anxiety. Yeah. And it was, may have been triggered by you having this major life change, even though it was a seemingly positive one. Yeah, it yeah. triggered things in your subconscious. Um, uh, and I didn't believe it. Yeah. I didn't believe it because I thought, well, anxiety is when you just worry about things. And I'm not, I'm not even worried about things. This is nonsense. That's not real. Yeah. I've got a real physical pain. It's not in my head. I didn't believe it. Yeah. I, I'd never heard about anybody else having it. You know? And, uh, and I, I threw, threw something up on Facebook. I said, has anyone ever had, had encounters with this? And a bunch mm. of people private messaged me. Yeah. And said, this is the thing. Like, a lot of people were happy to talk to me about it. But they always said, don't tell anyone. But Okay. Uh, a bit of shame attached to it. Yeah, I, something, which yeah. is one of the reasons why I'm happy to be open about it because yeah. I want to sort of break that yeah. and, and, and realize it's yeah. ver- it, it is very common. So, so Chris, you, were, you found it out. You sort of didn't know anyone, but slowly you're finding out other people. What yeah. then, what, what was your next step? What, what, well, once, your... once I started to come to terms with the fact that it was, I had some kind of clinical diagnosis, I was greatly blessed that my sister, who is not a, a clinician in any way, but she works in hospital administration, and she happened to be the 2IC at a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. So she knew a little bit about these things. And she said to me, told me about something called CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, that her hospital run group therapy for. And she said it might be good if it was something that I did. Normally yeah. they only did it for inpatients, but she pulled some strings and got yeah. me in as an outpatient. And uh, the two things that were really, really helpful at the time was, first of all, that, that treatment yeah. was life-changing. Uh, group therapy meant I went for 10 weeks once a week and you know, t- got to really understand how to think healthily. Yeah. It's funny, you touched on a bunch of the unhealthy thinking patterns, yeah. which are very common. Yeah. But you have to acknowledge they're unhealthy. Yeah. Sometimes we think because they, they're common, they're okay. They're not okay. They're unhealthy. Uh, you learn about unhealthy thinking patterns and how to, how to, how to correct them. Uh, you, you learn that your issues are real. Yeah. Uh, I saw a psychologist who was able to help me sort of fine-tune it to my specific situation because obviously yeah. in groups, it's everyone's, everyone's different. So from a clinical standpoint, that was, that was very, helpful. very, very helpful. Yeah. The other thing that helped me to survive uh, that five months, and I don't know how people who aren't Christians do it, was fellowship. Yeah. I, had, I craved Christian fellowship incredibly. I used to, we had Saturday night church at the time. I used to come on Saturday nights and Sunday nights. I used to yeah. go into the city for City Bible Forum talks. Anything that could allow me to, to focus on where my hope was mm. rather than where my pain was. Yeah. Uh, I met up with other Christians. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a guy I've been meeting up with regularly for nine years, and we went from fortnightly to weekly meetings. Yeah. 
And even that was just, you know, I, I, I describe it as a, like a, an ice pack for the soul, you know. It was like something to give me to look forward to each week, whether it be church or, or, or meeting with yeah. him or whatever, just taking it day by day. Yeah. So the cognitive behavior therapy was very helpful and also that Christian fellowship. Absolutely. As you battle with him, though, what's, what has God taught you in this journey of yours? What, what has he shown you? Yeah, yeah, a few things. It's interesting that you talk a lot about prayer. Mm. Part of my con- issue during that time was two and a half months ago, I had insomnia, didn't sleep a wink for two yeah. and a half months, which is the loneliest time in the world when mm. everyone else's the lights are out and they're in bed and yep. you're staring at the ceiling. And I, I prayed. I would just pray. I wouldn't just pray for healing. I'd pray. I knew that God was doing something in my life. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the purpose was. I didn't even know if I'd ever find out. But I knew that he was doing something, and I'd pray that he would help me get through it, that he would show me what it was. I just would con- my prayer life was, was, was amazing. It's incredible what you can do when you've got eight extra hours in the day. <laughs> um, uh, but the other thing, and, and this sort of touches on why I just had such a, a craving f- to, to be around the gospel and, and church and, and other Christians, mm. is that when life seems hopeless, yep. you realize your hope is in eternity. And it really helps you to um, readjust your, your focus. It's a shame that it takes things like that <laughs> to yeah. do that. And what's even more of a shame is that when you finally recover, you go back to your old ways. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, every now and then God throws me a reminder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think, I think that's the thing that uh, has shown me where my hope is. Because one of the things that I learned from from CBT, is one of the, the, there's a whole bunch of things that can trigger anxiety. One of them is, is the concept of perfectionism. Mm. Now, I would never have considered myself a perfectionist because I always assumed that being a perfectionist was somebody who you know, kept a really neat and tidy house and you know, liked to, assignments to be perfect and all that. So, and that's not me. But what I learned is that I do have, I do have perfectionist traits, as in fact many of us do, in the sense that for me perfectionism was having a, lo- a particular life that I wanted to live. Mm. You know, as a young man, I sort of thought, I'll get married at a certain age, kids and business will go. Uh, like, I mean, I didn't have dates or anything, but I had, I had an idea of how I wanted my life to play out. And when life doesn't play out the way you want it, it becomes, in your mind, yep. an imperfect life. Yep. And, that, and a lot of the anxieties that people were, were, were raising were about, you know, how things aren't going the way I want them to go. Yep. And That's that, a worrying thing. And... and, yeah. and, and, and uh, yeah, so not knowing that God is actually driving my life yeah, helps me. you to realize it's not an imperfect life. Yeah, it may not yeah. be my plan, but it doesn't mean it's unplanned. Yeah. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for sharing that. And uh, uh, as you pass, I'm, I'm thankful for you for, as you say, you were not aware uh, of the signs and symptoms and that kind of thing. And maybe tonight, uh, other people, that might be the beginning of the journey. I want to thank you for you sharing that. And uh, I'd like to pray for us all uh, that we would... Uh, Wherever we are, uh, trust God and be honest. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for Chris and I want to thank you for this congregation. The ways in which we were able to share honest and real times in which uh, we have been anxious. Whether that is just in that everyday worries of this life or something uh, far more deeper with clinical anxiety. I pray, Lord, that tonight that we would, uh, this, you would prompt us to seek help, whether that is professional help, whether that is talking to someone, whether that is uh, yeah, beginning that journey of asking, am I an anxious person?
But I pray, Lord, that all of us would be men and women who come and cast our anxieties onto you, Lord, knowing that you care for us and are there every day, every night, every hour. Amen.